chapter number 3, 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, the subject I'm going to be talking about, I guess you might think, well, I'm stealing from Pastor's uh, next uh, sermon series, but I won't be, I promise, I won't be stealing anything from Pastor, um, and uh, just kind of give you a preview of what you'll hear from Pastor, I guess. But, uh, but this passage in Hebrews chapter 3 is... Uh, uh, an interesting passage. Sometimes people get a little confused about it, but we'll be preaching from Second uh, Peter chapter three, verses ten through fourteen. So as soon as you find that, if you'd stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word, and in Second Peter chapter three, and starting in verse ten, it says, "But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat." The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of the God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness." Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. You may be seated. And let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, all that you've done for us today, Lord. We thank you for the ability to come and fellowship together, Lord, before the service. And we thank you for the ability to worship you in the service this evening, Lord. And I just pray that you'd speak through me. And uh, I just pray that your word would be presented and that uh, everyone here would learn and grow and be a, a better servant of you, Lord, because of it. And we'll praise you and thank you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The last days and the day of the Lord are some of the most misunderstood and, and the most talked about themes in all the Bible. I mean, people all over the place, people that don't even talk about the Bible or read the Bible at all, will talk about the end times. What's going to happen when we all die? What's going to happen uh, before we all die? What's going to happen uh, uh, with this new government, uh, with the new president? What's going to happen after that? Uh, I mean, even at work, I'll have people talking to me about, oh, uh, the latest thing is 2012. What's going to happen in 2012? Is, is a comet going to hit the earth? Is this going to happen? Are we going to have earthquakes happening and all these different things? And uh, there's so much confusion. I mean, you can see on the TV as well and even tabloids, of, oh, the God is coming back on this day, and uh, here's 50 reasons why we know that's true. And it never happens, and it's just, it, there's so much confusion around it all, how that everybody thinks they know what's going to happen in the end time. But really, most of the people have no idea what they're talking about. And much of this uh, is Satan's doing, really. It's, Satan is trying to confuse us. He's trying to confuse the world of what truly is going to happen in these last times. And in this passage, it's speaking about the Lord's Day. And it's speaking of the Day of the Lord. And, and there are many other things that happen in these last times, but you might think, why there's all this confusion around it? Why did God even bother telling us? If he knew that we'd all just, I mean, people would be spouting all these lies and, and confusing the Word of God so much, why would he even give us this? I mean, if you think about it, do we really need it? Do we really need to know about this? Do we need to know about these end times? Because um, some of this won't affect any of us. 
it, it may, none of this may affect us, but this may affect all of us. And we can ask that question, why would we even learn about this? Um, but there is, I mean, is there a reason uh, for this knowledge more than just knowing the future? I mean, it's, it feels great to know. I know it's going to happen uh, in 50 years or 100 years. I know it's going to happen because because this or that. I mean, that's why fortune tellers came about. That's why so many different things, because they wanted to know what's going to happen in the future. And so much confusion's come around it. But tonight, from this passage, I want to answer three questions about the last days that are found here in Second uh, Peter. And the first question that I'd like to answer is, what is the day of the Lord, or what is the Lord's day? As it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And I guess, to start out with, the day of the Lord is not a literal 24-hour day, as some people uh, say, and some people think a lot of weird things, but I guess you could look at verse 8 in the text, uh, right before the text in verse 8, this could kind of clear a few things up, it says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So I guess you could look at that and say, but the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. You can kind of see that a day to the Lord really isn't a day that we see. Uh, the Lord isn't restrained by time like we are. Uh, God is above his creation. Um, God created all this. He, he is not restrained by time like we are. So a day to the Lord isn't really anything to him. Uh, a thousand years is just like a day to God. And uh, you could say even a million years is just like a day to God. And we can see here that the day of the Lord isn't necessarily just a day, but it's a time where the Lord will do things uh, in, this, in the future. And first, there's one, mis- uh, there's one uh, misconception that many people have about the day of the Lord, and that's that the day of the Lord is the rapture. That's when God's going to take us all away, and uh, he's going to take us uh, to be with him in heaven. And that's the day of the Lord. But in actuality, that's not what the day of the Lord is. Because many people think that because it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And you think, well, God's going to come take us all away, just like a thief. Uh, but uh, it's not quite what the day of the Lord is. And if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And we'll be turning to not a, a ton of scriptures, but a decent amount. So keep your fingers ready, I guess. Uh, so 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And this is kind of the common passage that many people uh, turn to when speaking of the rapture. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 16, and if you'd ignore chapter uh, divisions and verse divisions for a second, we'll, uh, read, a couple, uh, we'll read a couple lines down and we'll see uh, what the Bible says about it. It says in verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have not need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now in verses 16, 17, and 18, it's speaking of the rapture. And then in chapter uh, 5, verse 1, it says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so come as a thief in the night. 
So we can see here that the Apostle Paul is not speaking of the rapture as the day of the Lord, but he's contrasting the day of the Lord with the rapture. So we can see there that the rapture isn't necessarily the day of the Lord. And, uh, and also, uh, if we just, I know it's a horrible thing to do, if we just used a little bit of logic with the word thief, uh, what, do you, uh, what do you steal? You steal something that's not yours. But when the Lord comes back for his rapture, he's coming back for us, who are his. So if Christ came to be a thief and to steal us away, that wouldn't be a proper illustration of it, because we're God's. The, the church, which Christ is coming back for, is the Lord's. It's his bride. It belongs to him. And if Christ came as a thief in the night, then he wouldn't be coming for his church, because that belongs to him. And you can't steal something that belongs to you. And we can see here that the, the day of the Lord is not the rapture. But we can, uh, and speaking of thieves, I heard a story uh, just a couple days ago about uh, uh, a lady who's in her uh, upper 80s who uh, had somebody break into her house. And um, this guy was, uh, she, uh, this guy broke in to steal some things. And so uh, she pulled out her magnum and held it up to the guy and said, uh, well, I want you to call the cops and let them know you're stealing from me and to come and arrest you. So he did because <laughs> he had a gun to his head. So, uh, so the Lord, he's not coming as a thief uh, to steal his church away because the church is his. He's coming to take that which belongs to him already. And we can see that the day of the Lord is not the rapture, but we can see the day of the Lord is judgment. And if you look in verse uh, 3 in chapter 5, in First Thessalonians, it says, for when, they say, uh, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, and travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And you can look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and in many passages it speaks of the day of the Lord as a day of judgment. And even in the text it talks about how the earth will be destroyed with fervent heat. That doesn't seem like a, a pleasant time, a time where we should rejoice and comfort ourselves like it says in verse 18 of chapter 4, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Would you comfort someone with your house burning down? We say, well, your house burnt down. Just praise the Lord for it. You, you wouldn't comfort yourself with something like that. But you comfort yourself with that which is good, the rapture. It's a blessed day. That's our blessed hope. But the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. It's a day that, that we should, none of us are looking forward to. But we can also know that's a day that we, as Christians, will not endure at all. And if you just turn over a few verses to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, it says, uh, speaking of the day of the Lord, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even, also, uh, even as also ye do. We can see here, the Lord said, we're not appointed to wrath. We're not appointed to the day of the Lord, this wrath and judgment, but we're to comfort ourselves knowing we're not a part of this. Just as I said before, you wouldn't comfort someone that your house is burning down. And we can know that we are not, the church will not be a part of this, uh, this day of the Lord because it's a day of judgment, and the Lord has not appointed us to that judgment. The day of the Lord is a time for the judgment of the nations, a, a time where Christ will bring Israel back to himself. And we can see that the day of the Lord, it's not the rapture, but it's a day of judgment. 
And it's a time of judgment um, that happens after the rapture until the destruction of all we know. And uh, uh, it's a day that none of us look forward to, but it's a day that we, because of God's grace, will not endure. And then the second question, the first question was the day of the Lord. The second question is, what is the Lord's promise? If you look in the text, it says, looking to that promise. And what is that promise? Uh, we, can, we know first the promise is new heavens and new earth. And uh, the Bible speaks of that in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 21. And if you turn your Bibles with me there to Revelation 21. Now, I'm not really going to talk a lot about this because I know Pastor will. Um, so I'm kind of leaving this uh, open so you'll all be uh, anxiously anticipating what he'll be preaching about in just probably... Well, it's chapter 21, so it'll probably take quite a while. But, but um, I know you all will want to hear this because this is uh, the new heavens and new earth and the new Jerusalem is just an amazing, uh, amazing uh, creation of God. And in Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, and I John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, uh, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And we see here the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, because the old heavens, the old earth, like it says in Second Peter, they'll all be done away with. They'll melt with fervent heat. And this new heaven and new earth is where we will live in eternity. We will spend all our days, all the eternity with our Savior in this place. And uh, just one, one aspect of this place I'd like to share with you, and it's in verse 4. It says in verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. What a, an amazing promise God has for us. He'll wipe away our tears. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. What an amazing, amazing eternity that will be for us in this, in this awesome uh, creation of the new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem. And... I know you'll want to hear more about it, and I encourage you to read this, and I encourage you to, uh, to not miss the messages Pastor will be preaching from Revelation, because it is an amazing book of things we can learn of what God uh, will be doing with us um, in the coming days. And also another promise that God has for us, not only the new heavens and the new earth, but the promise that promises we'll go to the new heavens and the new earth is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is promised in us. Every single one of you that has trusted Christ as your Savior has the Holy Spirit in you. And because of that, God has promised that you will be in heaven with Him. In uh, Ephesians chapter uh, number 1 and verse 13 and 14, it speaks of how that Christ, because we have the Holy Spirit, that none of us uh, will have to spend a second in hell. None of us will have to pay for our own sins in hell because Christ has done it for us already. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of God, the gospel of your salvation, 
in whom also after that she believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. And we see here, uh, also after that she believed. As soon as you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The second you trusted Christ is the second he indwelt you and sealed you with his Holy Spirit. And because he has sealed you, uh, it says in verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. We are that purchased possession. And when Christ redeems that possession, uh, there's nothing that will stop him from doing so. Uh, Christ, uh, God would never send his Holy Spirit to help. And because Christ, has, uh, his Holy Spirit has indwelt us, none of us will go to hell. Because his Holy Spirit is in us, if we were to go to hell, that means that God himself would have to go to hell as well. And God would never do that. And God has promised and sealed us that we would never go to hell. And also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about the same thing. It says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Uh, and in the verses before, it says in verse 5, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. Because God's given us the Spirit, we are confident, I say, rather willing to be absent from the, Lord, uh, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we know because we have the Spirit of God, as soon as we leave this body and this earth, that same moment we will be in heaven with God. We have this promise of the Spirit to know that if we've trusted Christ, we will have a home in heaven. We will have a home prepared for us with God. And we can know we will uh, live in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth with God if we have the Holy Spirit, which we will receive the second we trust Christ as our Savior. And then the first uh, question was, what's the day of the Lord? And we know it's a day of judgment and not the rapture. What is the promise of God? It's the promise of an eternity in, in the new heavens and the new earth with God. And it's the promise that we will go there because of the Holy Spirit in us. And then finally, what's the Lord's command? The Lord commanded some things in this passage as well concerning this, uh, concerning the Lord's day and concerning these last times. And it says um, in verse 14 how uh, seeing that these things are so, because because we've seen that, that they, the judgment is coming, because we've seen the day of the Lord is coming, this is how we should live. First off, it says, uh, seeing that you look to so, such things, to, and what we should do is to look for the promised appearing. We need to look to that promised appearing. Uh, many people say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to when God comes back. And, uh, well, are you truly looking? There's three ways we can look to this uh, to this appearing. And three verses talk about looking to this appearing. And the first one is we are to love his appearing. In 2 Timothy 4, it says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. We're to love his appearing. We're to long for the time when Christ will redeem us, when Christ will take us home with him. We're to long and be anxiously anticipating that day when Christ will come back. Not just say, oh yeah, well, I've got some things I want to do here on earth still. I still want to uh, uh, make a million dollars. I still want to buy that nice car. I still want to retire when I'm 55 or whatever it is. I still want to do all these things. And then, Lord, you can come back as soon as I've finished my life goals. 
but that's not how the Lord lays it out for us. The Lord says you are to love his appearing. And if you love his appearing, then you have a, a, a crown of righteousness laid up for you in heaven. And we're to love his appearing. We're also to pray for his appearing. In uh, one of the last verses in Revelation, in chapter 22, verse 20, it says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. John's prayer was that Christ would come back, was that God would come back. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Some of the last words that we have written of John says, Even so come, Lord Jesus. I've seen all of these amazing things that you will do. Lord, please return. Please bring these things to pass. Lord, please answer this prayer and come back, Lord. And we too should have that prayer that we're desiring Christ to come back. That it should be our prayer that uh, the Lord would come back in our time, in our lifetime, and and to not hasten his coming any longer, but that Lord would come back and uh, bring us home to him. And then finally, we're to work uh, work toward his appearing. And in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. And here the Apostle Paul was talking about how the Jews, how uh, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, they were working to that rest in, in the land of Canaan. As they were fighting off um, all the different uh, peoples in that land, they were, they were fighting for that rest. They were working hard to enter into that rest. And we too as Christians should labor to enter into that same rest. Now, let's say you have two days. Let's say the first day, I mean, you work like a 12-hour day. You're standing up the whole day. You're carrying around like 100-pound boxes over your head or whatever it is. I mean, you're working extremely hard, and you're just killing yourself all day long. You get home, you're just dog-tired, and you just, as soon as you get home, you get right to the bed and fall asleep. And then let's say the next day, you have a day off, and you're just laying around, not doing much. You're just kind of watching TV, maybe, uh, maybe uh, taking a nap here and there. You're not doing hardly anything at all. And you're just feeling good, nice and relaxed, okay. And then, and then it's, it's time to go to bed, and you just kind of fall asleep. And it's, not, it's pretty much what you're doing all day anyway. Now, which one of those two days do you think enjoyed which day do you think you'd enjoy the rest more? Do you think you'd enjoy the rest on the first day or the second day? Well, I know for myself, I'd love the rest on the first day because, I mean, I just used all my energy. I'm just dog-tired, and then I just fall asleep, and I want to sleep, like, for 24 hours straight. And, <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> I'd love to do that, but <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to sleep that long. But, but we know that the Lord, he commands us to labor for that rest. The harder we work here, the, the more we try and accomplish for Christ here on this earth, I believe the more we'll enjoy heaven. The more we'll enjoy that eternal rest with Christ. The, the harder we labor, and the more we do for Christ here, I, I believe we'll enjoy it just so much more in heaven. Uh, and I believe we'll have more rewards in heaven as well if we just labor for him here and not just lay around and just do not, nothing. I mean, it, we won't have anything to show for what... Uh, for what we've done here on earth. And the Lord, he commands us that we work for that appearing, that we labor for him here on this earth to enjoy a greater and a more blessed um, uh, eternity. And then finally, uh, the Lord commanded us not to just look for his appearing, but also to live a holy life. Uh, in, in that passage in Second Peter, it talks about living a life with holy conversation, 
living a blameless uh, life and a spotless life. And we are to live a life completely uh, holy and without sin. And we are all humans. We, we all have the flesh. But the Lord would never command us something that we could not do with his help. If the Lord has commanded us to live a holy life, then we can live a holy life. But many times we fall to our own lust, to our, our own sin and our own sin nature. But we must strive to live holy lives and live lives for the Lord. And in, second, um, sorry, in 1 Peter chapter 1 is the Lord's command to us to live a holy life, to, to live a life completely apart from sin altogether. Uh, and holiness is, uh, is to live a life apart from sin. And in verse 15 and 16 in 1 Peter it says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And the Lord has commanded us to be holy, just as Christ himself is holy. And another reason, not just because God's commanded it, but I believe there is another reason why we should live a holy life. And that's found in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. And it says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ Jesus. And we can see here, we're to be a holy priesthood. And many times in the Bible, in Peter's writings, and a lot in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how we are a royal priesthood a holy priesthood to God. And we can look somewhat to the Old Testament, how priests lived. And we too are to live the same kind of separated holy life that the priests lived. And the priests, you could tell if, the, if someone was a priest. They dressed different. They talked different. They ate different. I mean, they, they did everything different and separated from the common people. And we too should live lives separated from the sin of this world. We should live lives noticeably different. We should dress like a Christian should dress. We should live like a Christian should live. We should live a holy life and separated from this world. I mean, we're to live uh, in the world but not of the world. And we're to, to strive to live more like Christ because we see these days approaching. In Second Peter, in the text, it talks about how if you see the day approaching... Uh, seeing that these things be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Because you see all, because you see all these things are happening, because you see that, that, that the destruction of this world is coming, because the things we do here on earth are not coming up with us in heaven. If we uh, build a great house, if we make lots of money, if we do all these things on earth, they're not coming back up with us in heaven. But we must strive to work for Christ, work for God, and live a holy life. Because God's shown us these things, we are to live a, a holy life, a motivated life for God, and not, not for ourselves, not for our own lusts. And we can see that from this passage, why God has shown us things of these last days. Sure, God knew that there would be confusion about it. I mean, there's confusion about the entire Bible, because many people purposely confuse it to lead people astray. But God knew there would be confusion but he knew there'd be a greater good from it. He knew that, that with this, there'd be greater motivation to serve him, that we'd have greater reason to live a holy life, a greater motivation to work for him and to, to know of the blessed hope that is waiting for us. And the last days are a doctrine that we should strive to understand properly. 
God has a day of judgment coming. He also has a promise of peace and security, and he's commanded us to live holy and separated lives. Will you strive to enter into that rest, or will you let the pleasures and the distractions of this world and this life choke that motivation from you? Will you let these things of this earth uh, distract you from what God has called us to do, and that's to serve him with our whole hearts, to live holy lives totally separated unto him? And my, my, my charge to you is that you should live a life wholly separated to God. And if you do, and if you use these things that you'll be learning about, if you use the teachings of these last times to better motivate you to serve the Lord better, I know he will bless it. I know he'll bless your lives if you do so. And let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Holy Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for uh, teaching us, Lord, from your word of these, these last days, Lord, of teaching us about the the day of the Lord, about this judgment, Lord, coming for sin. And, Lord, we, uh, we praise you also for the blessed hope you've given to us, Lord. And we also praise you that you have uh, shown us through this that we can live better and more separated, holy lives, Lord, focused on you and your coming, Lord. And we pray that you'd help us to all live separated lives focused on your coming, Lord, and focused on uh, seeing you work in our lives. And we'll praise you for it. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.